Hey there, if you would like ad-free and early versions of these episodes, as well as bonus episodes, movie club episodes, and lots more, head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. Make believe is not pretend, we might be ill, but we're on the mend. It never starts, it never ends, welcome to Craig and Friends, welcome to Craig and Friends, welcome to Hey, before we get into the show, even though you already heard the theme song, in this bit I want to tell you some news that you probably already know. The one, the only, the Kelly Mantle is on tour, and you can get your tickets now at kellymantlelive.com. And the show, of course, is called An Evening Without Kelly Mantle. So, conceptual shows, I've had a few, and then again, they've some have had me. Is that the lyric? I can't remember. You're a Sinatra fan, so you write me. Anyway, kellymantlelive.com. You know how to do the rest. You're a sophisticated listener because you're listening to this show. Okay, fantastic. Sorry about the delay. Well, it's highly unprofessional. I'm going to tell the aliens all about it. Well, I know, and it's a shame because I know they're looking for some folks to collect, get up there, and do their thing with. And I don't want to say what the thing is because they're already pissed at me. Are they? Well, now they are because you're going to tell them what happened. Uh I don't know. If there's something I can do, maybe we can barter something afterwards. I don't know. Just, you know, just this once to sort of give me a pass. Well, I'll go ahead and let it pass. I mean, the fact that I had to cancel like a hundred million times. (laughs) How do I get this to go to full screen? I can't see anything that's happening. I was wondering that too. I'm always thinking, is it window or is it view? Okay, let's let's figure this out together. Let's Uh, do it. There's view. Then window, yeah. Oh, do you know what? I think here's the thing. This is the one application where you go to meeting and underneath it, then it'll it'll say full screen. I know, but why can't it go on top and bottom? Um, Well, that's a question for a whole nother segment, which we'll get into. But uh, let's see. I think next to Zoom US, then it says meeting. And then there's a click that there's a drop down and it should say uh, full screen or enter full screen. Exit full screen. Oh, maybe you're already in full full screen. Oh, there we go. Now I can see things. Isn't this amazing? Look at this. View. Think, sorry, go you ahead. Think after all of this, I would finally. What does speaker mean? Uh, oh, oh there you are. now it puts me little. Oh no! Oh, well, oh, I, oh, wait, I, I know. I got it. There's one other. There's one other thing. And the funniest thing is, you'd think that either of us would be like, oh, I'm an old hand at this, because how many Zooms have we have to do? Zoom is not uh, intuitive. So, okay, if you go up to view on the other corner, and then you select gallery, that'll give you the two-panel thing. Otherwise, it doesn't... Oh, isn't that wonderful? It's just delightful. How are you, Craig? You know, I'm I'm pretty good, thank you. Thank you. I'm. Uh, I just started listening. I just this morning listened to, once again to the latest, uh, most cutting edge record, the Eagles uh, Hotel California, because I like to stay on the bleeding edge of things. You have your thumb on the pulse of modern pop culture, honey. I, you know, I appreciate you recognizing me for that. Yeah. And, and now, how are you? And has your day been so far? Well, it's been wonderful. It's a sad week because we lost a saint, Sinead O'Connor. And um, speaking of albums, I I regularly listen to um, most of her albums um, on the weekly whenever I'm putting on my makeup. 
Um, but I have definitely been listening to that all week and I was listening to that earlier today. So I'm very mournful and very sad, but I will try to uh, go ahead and brighten my spirits for the sake of this interview. Well, thank you. And I'm going to try to do my part. And I say try because, you know, who knows if it's going to work. I'm going to try my part to uh, facilitate that, at least a small part of that. Lift the spirits, you know. (laughs) As you're lifting mine too, you know, it was one of those days where you're uh, a little grumbly, like I'm like, yeah, I'm good. But some, uh, how do you, do you have, I'm sure maybe you have this, though lest I assume uh, that might cancel that helping with the aliens thing. But anyway, I don't want to assume that. So uh, do you, what's, uh, what, what is your biggest challenge sometimes when you wake up and say like the least productive or least helpful mood? What's my biggest challenge with that? Yeah, like it, it, say say you, you were having a bad day or had like a crummy morning that sort of bled into the rest of the day. What would that look like for you? Well, I mean, I'm already a schizophrenic uh, person, you know, and I have multiple personality disorder. Um, so what I do whenever um, one of my personalities or I am in a really bad place, I just change over to another personality <laughs> and <become laughs> someone else for the day. Um, and so that kind of helps me get through it, you know, until that person can't take it anymore. And then I become someone else, you know. So in a way, despite any mental condition, like for mine, uh, there's a sort of aspect to it with yours that's like, you know what? Uh, I've worn this outfit for a while. I'm going to go to something else. Currently, I'm just addicted to wearing this Pia Zadora jacket. Well, I I love Pia Zadora. Oh, isn't she amazing? Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. You know, I think Jackie Beat has a lot of her wardrobe as well, I want to say. Or maybe it's not Pia Zadora. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think Jackie has a few of her... um, uh, what are those called? Sarongs or whatever those oh, things. Yeah. Things. Shawls. Yeah. I, uh, I, I had the great fortune of taping with her at her home in Las Vegas. Uh, and it was great. And also at the end of the interview, she had an appointment and we ran a little long. She goes, Oh my God, I forgot. I have to go to this thing. She just left me in her house. Like a very kind. <laughs> yeah. Did you rummage through her drawers? Well, Come on, course. tell me. Uh, yes. Of, of course I had to. Sadora's door drawer. Wait, yeah, I got you have to rummage through Pia Sadora's drawers, honey. You really do. When you get the opportunity, you got to seize it, right? It's like Stevie Winwood once said, or sang many times, when you see a chance, take it. I want to get back to the multiple personality disorder, because mm-hmm. I think everyone, A, has everyone has something, right? Yeah. It presents maybe stronger or lesser, and it's really about how we deal with it. And I'm curious when it first presented for you and also how you were able to recognize it. Cause that's not necessarily the easiest thing to recognize. Well, it presented itself as far as I can remember. I mean, when I was a young child, I would always, um, you know, I mean, you know, go in and out of different personalities, um, all the time. Um, I was kind of a little Reagan child. I was a little exorcist, you know, a little Damien, a little omen in me, and my parents were terrified of me for many years up until I was about five or six. <sighs> um, and so as I got older, I finally went to see a therapist just to see, you know, what this whole thing was, because, you know, that that's kind of when I first heard about it. And, and she told me that's what it was. And I said, I think I'm just an actor. You know, I think all actors have a certain degree of, you know, 
multiple personalities living in them. But she was she told me um, that that was not the proper term to use, that I was supposed to call them headmates coexisting in my headspace. And I said, well, bitch, if they're living up there rent free, they better start making some coin, honey, because I'm going to start charging. You know what I'm saying? It's a yeah. lot going on up here, you know. There's a lot going on. And I then you, you it. I sorry, love go it. ahead. Go ahead. What? Oh, I said I've embraced it and I love it. And I turn my mental illness into art. That's what I do. So, I, you know, that's the smartest route to go through, because when we're like, I got to hide this, I got to hide this, which, no. um, yeah, how you get, well, I'm not I, good at hiding anything, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> which is really a great thing. It's really great. Uh, and with my condition, bipolar, like I got diagnosed and when I got diagnosed, I'm like, oh, right. I've known that there is a huge bloodline history in my maternal side. So, you know, it's always like, well, if your father, maybe you will, maybe you won't maternal side with the grandmother who had ect and a bro uh uh, uh my uncle because it was the 60s they love to do this kind of thing not diagnose it so he had a nice life of alcoholism until lithium poisoning <laughs> yeah. that sounds like a ride right exactly it's like hey i'm gonna live life to the fullest sometimes oh. or to take it to the limit as uh the dead randy meister to the limit, limit. Ah, ah. Ah, oh hell yeah I love it. I mean, you know, my uh, my man loves it, too. He's like, I never know he's going to come home. You know, I never knew who I'm going to go to bed with. Do you um, have? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying. OK, that's the only thing about Zoom that's strange is that sometimes you can't really usually in person, you you, you know, you can sense like, oh, the, the person's yeah. not done. And um, you have a wonderful. Can you hear me okay? Oh, I can hear you perfectly. I think oh, it's good. more that I kind of I kind of depend on non-verbal cues and which is probably extension from uh, being hyper vigilant about trying to you know as a kid all these gifts these gifts we get uh, do you have different names for the different personalities and is that correct to um refer to them as personalities i think you did but i want to make sure when i see your zooms i'm sorry say again because uh as you i sound said like oh. a trampoline it's going. Oh, sh you know what? Tell you what. Let I. I'll send you a new link. Sometimes, sometimes Zoom just fucks up. So I'll. S how about this? We'll hang up. I'll send you a brand new link, and it'll be like a brand new day. Does that sound good? I'm sending you. Uh, well, I I'm think it's stable now. It's oh, stabilizing. It's good that Are something's stable? stable here because I'm not. I don't want to <laughs> speak for you. <laughs> I'll. I'll repeat the the question then. So personalities is the correct. Wait, I guess, well, if it's multiple personality, but that's in, it baked into the title. Do you know, because I don't know anything about this really, except for Sybil, which I know movies are typically the best representation of anything. Um, how many do you have and do you have names for them? I have names for some of them and I don't know how many I have. I know there's many and there's new ones popping up all the time. But I do have names for some of them, yes. Yeah. Would you mind sharing some of them with me? You don't obviously have to. Oh, no. Um, anytime that I have to do any business calls, you know, I Dolores takes over. So Dolores, you know, Dolores okay. is very tired and she doesn't want to talk a lot. You know, it's Dolores takes over. Yeah. I imagine then that which is there a ward generally different wardrobe for each presentation no mm -mm, no i'm not a big fashion queen as you can see so <laughs> i don't do a lot of i don't do a lot of uh 
costume changes for my multiple personalities. They kind of come up whenever something triggers me. You know? <laughs> I don't have time to change clothes because I'm not planning it. You know? Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's kind of like something comes up. It's like, hey, you know what? This call, I, I can't help it because it's being like in the stock market, which I believe you also are in, right? Did Tammy Brown tell you that? No, I think it was the Johnny McGovern interview where it oh. was discussed. <laughs> yes, I love playing my stock markets. You have to, you know. I mean, listen, I'm a self-made woman. <laughs> well, you are, and it's very impressive. When I heard that, I was like, you know, I kind of wish I had done that. And it's something I'm always like, I should do that, and then I don't. So in the next year, maybe I'll, I'll solicit uh, a couple uh, tips from you about sort of getting into Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I've always loved numbers. I'm very weird in that way. Um, I'm an artist, but I've always loved math and it's given me a sense of, um, a, a, it's given me a sense of stability. Cause I remember when I was a senior in college, I was a theater major acting and my um, professor came to me and he said, okay, this is what you need uh, in order to graduate. And he said, you need three more hours of just a, a course of something and you know i think he said it's in the this department yeah and I'm like can i take an advanced algebra course and he's like excuse me and he's like i was like i want to take an advanced algebra course um because it gives me stability so i was in there with all these like engineering majors and and things like that like i'm crazy when it comes to numbers i'm all like and i got like a straight A's in the class and i was blowing everyone away like i'd go to the chalkboard and figure out all the little equations and stuff and like and everyone's like, you're an actor? And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm actually acting that I'm a, a math whiz. But I'm, I'm so good at acting that I can make it happen. So you had a bit of goodwill hunting going on. Very well. that. Very that, yes. When you saw that movie, did you have a feeling about it uh, in the manner of sort of relating to it? Because that's a movie generally outside of what I can, you know, I guess like chess people would have been like beautiful mind. That's we're going to go see that representation. But uh, for me, I'm like, golly, that's a wild, you know, cause it's totally out of my wheelhouse. Yeah, no, I definitely, when that came out, I was like, Oh my gosh, I totally, like, I didn't have words then to put to anything, but I was like, that's me. I get that. Yeah. I'm from the Boston area. I was right. actually I was actually shooed away from a location, which uh, I was just standing there. I had purple hair at the time. I was just kind of standing there smoking a cigarette, and a PA came over and said, uh, "Excuse me, um, you're in the shot. Could you?" And uh, but then in the film, there's a scene at this place that's no longer there because that's another city that's just been boulderized and you know gentrified. Like, there's a Rotucci where somewhere something cool used to be. Um. I remember a scene at this place called The Tasty, which was like a long hallway. It was one of those few things that was like leftover. It almost felt Tom Waits, Ian, because they were open 24 hours, a greasy spoon, but really good. And it's a long hallway with a big picture window in the back. In that scene, there's a guy going. <laughs> and I thought, so I'm just a guy on the street. There are people on the street. That's natural. This guy was like doing a dance and I guess they couldn't buy him off but you have been uh featured in many many films and tv projects <laughs> is that your segue into that that's hilarious is that where you went with that <laughs> i have been i have been you know it's funny two of the people i first met when i moved to la because my friend at the time was dating uh or i don't think they were still dating i think maybe they'd separated at that point was ben affleck and casey affleck were two of the 
I hung out with Casey a lot. Um, but that was right after the whole Goodwill hunting, big, crazy showdown. There was a whole phenomenon. Like it completely swept uh, everything. Two, yeah, these two guys had a, you know, come from Boston, you know, and they wrote the <laughs> script, you know, and they're like winning Oscars and stuff. It was wonderful. It was great. It was. It, it was an inspiring uh, sort of thing. What's that? Robin Williams. Robin Rest. Williams is such a, a classic example of a comedian. And some people, it's not, he's not to everyone's taste, but his greatest things were the dramatic roles. And then later you find out that he was dealing with a, a few things. I know. I know. I think all comics have a dark side. I think that's why we do comedy, you know? It's yeah. A, you know, it's like Joan Rivers said, you have to laugh at everything. Laughter is life's lubricant, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Cause otherwise you're going in dry and that's, we all know the problems with that. Um, was Joan Rivers uh, one of your sort of Thank comedy? Thank again. Oh, okay. That's all right, because I didn't have a segue that was as good as the last one. So, you know, it was a perfect time. Uh, there we f- are. Fabulous. But, see, that's that sense of th- theatricality that you possess it, uh, inherently. It's like, hold on. It, and now go. <laughs> and now. But yes, I've done a lot of television, a lot of films. I love it. We're on strike now. It's crazy times. Was there um, a, an actor's strike sometime in the last 20 years or something? I could have looked this up, but why do that? Because um, I know that this is the first time I that... I think so. I think there might have been a small one maybe 10 or so years ago, but it wasn't nearly of this magnitude or, you know, the the demands that are being made. And, you know, in a, you know when these things happen, of course no one wants this to happen no one wants to be out of work and people don't realize it affects so much more than just actors you know i heard uh betty buckley saying the other day on her instagram it affects you know the guy who owns the bagel shop across the street from the you know studio where everyone comes and gets their breakfast in the mornings and they're not there now to do that so it it trickles down to so many people but the good thing the light at the end of this tunnel is that it's bringing to light all of these major issues that really, really need to be addressed and that should have been addressed for years, you know, um, that you have all of these CEOs and executives just hoarding, you know, millions and billions of dollars, you know, when when a lead on Orange is the New Black can't even, you know, is making like 1800 an episode. It's just crazy. It's, it's insane. So the good thing is that all of this stuff's coming to light and, and actors are talking about it now you know, and what they make, you know, I find that funny because people that aren't in the industry assume that if you're on a television show or something that you're probably just rolling in the dough. And that's just, obviously we, see that that's not the case at all in most cases. So. Yeah. In most cases. And it, it's strange. There's two, well, there's a couple weird things about that. I find lately, it seems like a lot of people want to align themselves uh, either morally or spiritually or whatever you want to call it with large corporations, large corporations who do not give a shit about most people. And I don't get, I wonder if you feel the same way about that sort of shift. Oh, I've always been that way. You know, I've always been a punk rocker at heart. I've always been anti-establishment, anti-authority. I grew up on Ani DeFranco, um, Sinead O'Connor, you know, people who've always challenged authority and I've always been independent artist and, have always stayed away from big corporations. Um, even today, I'm I'm so thankful that I'm not 
uh, wrapped up into the whole what I call kind of a red carpet uh, activist. You know, it's it's the ones that show up on the red carpets, you know, to say, oh, I'm an activist here for this big event and we're getting ready to go have, you know, a big $500,000 steak dinner at this big gala. And, you know, we have wonderful celebrity showing up to speak and perform. And, you know, I'm so happy I'm not a part of that whole rigmarole because it's just disgusting to me, quite frankly. But um, yeah, no, I've, I'm totally, yeah, I've never been pro anything that's a big corporation taking over, you know, because they don't have human interest at heart. And they don't have the art at heart either, you know. Um, right. And I just, I, I can't exist in that kind of environment. I just can't. I'm a gutter slut and I'm on the outskirts of society and that's where I like to be. So, so I'm sorry, gutter slut? Uh, is that what you said? A gutter slut, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Gutter. I, okay. Um, yeah, you have been. And tell me about the first steps you took. Cat. What's that? <laughs> I'm an alley cat. <laughs> <laughs> Two things about that that are really impressive. I think it's great to be able to recognize that, uh, especially seemingly at the very beginning of your career, which spans many disciplines. Um, which came first, the interest in music or the interest in theater or comedy? Mm, both. Yeah, both. Ever since I was a little, a little girl, I was in. I was. I was. Um, I was interested in both. Um, there were lots of influences. Obviously, I grew up in Oklahoma, so I was heavily influenced by country music. Uh, Dolly Parton, Loretta Lynn, um, Patsy Cline, Johnny Cash. So that kind of intrigued me as far as becoming a songwriter and playing guitar and writing life experiences to a guitar. Um, and then I would watch reruns of The Carol Burnett Show, and she incorporated a lot of music into her shows as well. Um, and that was where the theater side came in that I was heavily influenced by because I was like, oh my gosh, I want to play all these characters and make people laugh and, you know, dress up in costumes and, and write skits and, you know, all that stuff. So they kind of all happened uh, really, really early on. I knew like when I was five or six years old, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to do both of those things. And then as I got older, I kept having people tell me, well, you can't do both. You can't be a stand-up comedian and then go sing sad songs on a guitar. And I was like, yeah, you can. Like, who, why, who's to say you can't? I mean, you know, I've even thought about singing the sad songs at the stand-up gig and see how that might go over, you know, just... <laughs> yeah, give a little multi-flavor experience. It sounds yeah. to me like that would be good. I, I always love when I go to a show, and even if I'm familiar with the artist in question there's something that surprises me like i love that and yeah. and oh and i think mo i think also most people do people don't know necessarily what they want until they see it which is why something like jaws it did so well or star wars or any of the big blockbusters that unfortunately changed the industry for not the best but it, it, it's because no one thought no one was like, oh, I want, yeah, you know what I'd love? I, this this uh, drama with Diane Keaton, uh, <laughs> maybe, you know, going, uh, not having something good happen to her by Richard Keir. This is great, but we're a little dark right now. And then Jaws happens. And like, Jesus, I love this movie. But no one would have been like, oh, yeah, there's, so you, there's a shark? Said who would have thunk? I love all those movies, though. I, all those uh, 70s. I mean, not that Jaws, I, I don't know. When was Jaws made? 77. 
Oh, was it? It was. Okay. And then when you said Diane Keaton, I just, I love all those 70s movies. The Actor Studio, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Meryl Streep, Diane Keaton. I mean, it's just that acting, because it was it was shifting at that moment in time where actors were becoming less performative, you know, as they had been, you know, in the Joan Crawford, Catherine Hepburn days. And it was, well, Catherine was, uh, was, was really a woman who kind of went with that shift. But um, they started getting so real, you know? And, uh, oh, I just love those movies from the 70s. Midnight Cowboy. And, oh, they're so good. They're so good because there's an authenticity. Saturday Night Fever. Even Saturday Night Fever. I, I just rewatched that like a couple of weeks, a month ago or something. Um, as as cheesy as you, you think of it, when you think of it, you think disco and John Travolta and the cheese. The story and the the acting and the performance, I mean, and the and the camera angles and everything—it was so good. I mean, it really is like a really good movie. It is. It's like, it's, it's a, a such really a fantastic movie. and dark. I love it, that. What's that? Sorry, uh, you said. I think we froze a bit. That's okay. That's the theme of this episode. I think we're frozen again. Oh, okay. Um, there we go. Ta-da! What's that? And we're back. And we're back. Thank you, listeners, dear listeners. Uh, we're giving you a special treat because that's the unexpected feature of this show. We didn't want to tell you at the top of it because it wouldn't be unexpected then. My favorite films are those, let's say, sometimes I tell people, this one's really rough. And, and I'm like, if I'm telling you that, you know it's rough because I love a dark <laughs> film. Looking for Mr. Goodbar, I've been obsessed with for a while. My obsession has been reignited. And if you haven't seen it, it's hard to find. It's not on de- I'll, I would love to send it to you. And I'll be doing a movie club on it at some point. So um, we'll talk about that. Well, if, you know, because yeah, Keaton also, Keaton didn't do a lot of dramas. When he's here or a comic actor in something like that, you're like, oh, yeah, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. One time Absolutely. I missed Pacino in person because I, there was a breakup. I went to go see uh, two real cheerful films, Panic in Needle Park, which is about junkies. And uh, there's a, like a three-minute scene where they're all talking about all their dreams that you know won't come true. And there's a close-up for this whole time on someone getting their arm ready to shoot up. And I just went, today's not the day. I left. Yeah. And one of the guys <laughs> at the theater goes, Oh, are you leaving? Are you not going to stay for Scarecrow, which is about two hobos, uh, Al Pacino and Gene Hackman, just trying to make it work in the 30s? So, you know, another up with people kind of knee slapper. So I, mm-hmm. I said, I, I might come back. And he goes, you re- you really should. It's it's a, it's a good print. And then later I re- and then I told my neighbor, yeah, I left. It was I was bummed out. And he goes, oh, was that the screening where Tarantino brought Al Pacino in to talk to everyone? And I went. Yeah, I, I guess it was. But we we were talking about favorite films and stuff. Um, do you remember, because obviously your interest in all the uh, many disciplines of the art, do you remember the first movie or artist that really kind of grabbed you? And I, well, I know you said Carol Burnett, but in terms of, um, I guess, music besides that. Well, it's interesting you say that. I remember seeing um, Sissy Spacek portray Loretta Lynn and Cole Miner's daughter. I remember seeing that. I think I was, I want to say I was pretty young. Maybe I was a little older in junior high. I don't know for sure when that, when I actually saw it. But I remember the first time I saw it, I mean, she embodied 
that role. And she sang all of those songs and sounded almost exactly like Loretta Lynn. So that's a, a great example of what you're asking is, is that is someone, and she's one of my favorite actresses, my God, the Robert Altman, uh, Three Women with her and Shelley Duvall. Oh, it's one of my favorite films in the world. And um, I just, and and Carrie, obviously, anything Sissy Spacek does is amazing. But I remember that being one of my first times seeing someone be such a great actress and a singer and portraying someone real, you know, and she won the Oscar for it obviously most deservedly but most deservedly yeah that was that was like a big turning point for me i was like so i kind of delved into her like whole body of work and i just loved the subtleties and the sissy's just you know you can they can just get a shot of sissy spacek and and you you see subtext just there can be a million things going on with that one shot in her mind and she's topless and welcome to LA. So there's a nice. <laughs> oh yeah. Welcome to LA. Yeah. It's um, if I have a rip, I'll send it to you. It's I think Alan Rudolph's first movie. Clearly you're a big Altman fan as well. Altman produced it for Alan Rudolph, whose films are very interesting after that. Uh, one called remember my name currently on prime, very hard to find on video for a long time as was three women. Uh, but, mm-hmm. and this is great because it's Anthony Perkins, uh, Genevieve, uh, uh, the chaplain, Geraldine Chaplin, mm. a- and uh, I can't remember who else. Oh, uh, Barry Berenson, who later married Anthony Perkins years after he had conversion therapy by choice. Oh, wow. Yeah. By choice. <laughs> yeah, by choice. And and Paula Prentice and Richard Benjamin helped to find the doctor that was the best for him. So a different time, a uh, different time. They were just trying to. Yeah, um, shortcuts, Robert Ullman's shortcuts. One of my favorite movies oh. ever, and the and you movie can't find that anywhere either. It's oh my so god! I know, so hard to find. That's so crazy. There was a screening like a year and a half ago at the Arrow, and I was so thrilled to see it again in the theater because I saw it in the theater when it came out, but mm. I, not because I really knew about Robert Altman, but because I was such an obsessive Tom Waits fan. Yeah, exactly. And that's what led me to going like, "Oh my god!" Because also seeing that in like high school, I was like, "This is." this is fucking what this is amazing i know know. him and david lynch and uh well and on a whole different level uh christopher guest when it comes to comedy and improv i mean i live for his world of actors and films but robert and david lynch as far as like surrealism um i just i live for both of them wild at heart david lynch is one of, is probably my favorite movie of all time. It's just impeccable. It's so good. It's so great. And it's I got so to good. see that recently. Recently, I don't know. The last couple of years, it's hard to keep track or understand time. But at New Beverly, they, they did a screening, uh, a double feature of Wild at Heart and True Romance. And to see Wild at Heart. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah. Just, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. Okay. I just said, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. I was thinking it's interesting that they didn't that they didn't pair Wild at Heart and Blue Velvet together. I would assume they would pair those two together. They do interesting. The doubles are interesting because it's like something you go, oh, and then there's wild violence in both. But they it, it ran like this: True Romance first, which has that amazing and uh, horrifying scene uh, that I'm sure people have a lot of problems with with uh, Patricia Arquette and James Gandolfini. It is harrowing. 
but then wild at heart bobby baru oh my god all that stuff and hearing seeing getting to see it with it really loud because i saw it first on vhs and you know it, it was still amazing but to see it like in that way i was like oh my god so um in terms of comic performers uh and by the way it's clear that we share a, a very similar taste in, in film and also what you said um about like the surrealism of david lynch and then on the other hand you have a slightly surreal uh director in robert allman uh, none, none more so than his uh, three women, which is like you said, j- just a masterpiece. It's one of those movies too that when you show it to people, you either get it or you don't get it. You get the surrealism or you don't get it. Because I've shown it to so many people, and halfway through, they're like, "Kelly, there's nothing happening. I don't. This is a horrible movie. It's terrible. It's horrible. I was like, "No, there's so much happening in Shelley Duvall." And Sissy Spacek, the thing I love most is Shelley Duvall constantly following the twins and just talking. Yes. I mean, he, Robert Allman's just action and just talk about anything. And she'd be like, well, anyway, so I'm going to go get dinner and I'm going to go to the grocery store and blah, blah, blah. And she's just talking to herself and no one's listening to her. And I'm like, this is impeccable because this is so true to life. There's people like that that just talk and you realize you've been talking for 20 minutes and I haven't listened to a word you've said. Yeah, like, you become background you noise. Anything? Yeah, and, and yeah. also the one person who's trying to engage with her, she treats like absolute shit. She's like, oh, yes. Oh my God, I love that movie. I'm going to have to watch it again tonight. Me I too. love it so much. I'm going to have to watch that again. It's been a while. Oh, the last time I saw it, I went to a screening. There's always seemingly uh, the silent movie theater. I'm glad that it's called Brain Dead now and it's different because every time I went to a screening there, I'd be like, what's wrong with these people? I I don't know. Maybe you find Three Women funny, but people were laughing a lot. And I was like, do you uh, do you not see how this is like, I don't know. Do you have a film, and maybe it's Three Women, do you have a film that's sort of a litmus test for not everyone, but certain people? You're like, I got I to gotta get a sense of these people. What's the deal? Do you have one of those? Madonna, truth or dare. <laughs> That's a really that's a really good choice. Now, what is it a what is it about? The- if you could sit through Madonna Truth or Dare and not want to worship that woman after that movie, <laughs> then you know friend of mine. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. It's just, I mean, it was that time period was just oh my god! I can't explain it to people. It's just you know that it, it, it the black and white the the vogue the the music the cone bras the the masturbating on the bed to like a virgin the the openly gay dancers kissing on film which wasn't seen a lot and the combat boots and the cutoff jean shorts and the jean paul gautier and it's just it's like a whole like the ponytail and it's just it's a whole movement that happened and and her her standing up for 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 you know AIDS activism and and gay rights and just I mean and yeah it was just like a whole era that was just like uh, <laughs> I wish I could you know to uh, help people that weren't there at that time understand what all of that meant as it was happening in real time and had never happened before. I think I got to see that in the theater, for which I'm very fortunate. Uh, Boston, as little as I enjoy it, did at the time have terrific art house uh, films. Like, for instance, Bad Lieutenant got to see it in the theater. And that was a movie oh. where every single person walking out just looked like, 
Uh, oh my god I, I was like that was fucking great <laughs> this is horrifying <laughs> um and i was like oh a bad cop yeah wow what a fa fantastical notion but with truth or dare i also remember being so struck and impressed by both the milieu that you mentioned because at, at the time there was this incredible nexus that also at our shared age we were becoming not if not aware of increasingly like this is available this is something that the biggest star in the world is right. embracing and well i think that's it i think that the thing for me is looking back on it and even looking at where we are today she was a mainstream major pop star who was pushing buttons left and right the sex book justify my love and if anyone were even to attempt to do that nowadays in her position as a mainstream pop star, they would be canceled. They would be like the, the labels and the, the PR firms, everyone would be like, you can't do that. You'll, you, your whole career will die. You know what I mean? And she was just, she's the, she was the, at that time and, and still is the biggest pop star in the world at just constantly pushing buttons and challenging authority and, and everything. I mean, of course, she found a way to kind of marry the corporate of it all with the punk of it all. And I applaud her for that. But um, yeah, I mean, just to see a mainstream pop star do everything that she did was wild. That would never even happen today, which is kind of sad. It feels like we're going backwards in time, but, you know. It feels yeah. like we're hurtling backwards in time. And I was, well, again, looking for Mr. Goodbar or many of the Al Pacino films that we alluded to. They wouldn't get made. Cruising would never, never get made today. Oh, God, cruising. Cruising. And even uh, Dog Day Afternoon, you know, he's robbing a bank and trying to get money for his uh, girlfriend's, uh, what they called at the time, sex change operation. We call it, you know, things different now, but... Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that was like, what? This mainstream major actor is like playing a role where he's literally holding up a bank to get money so that his girlfriend can get a sex change operation. And it's a true story. And it's a true story, exactly. And the fact that, yeah. They the, would... the, the fact that it didn't go to an indie route with some unknown, you know what I mean? Like someone like that playing it was so ballsy of him and so cool. And cruising, I mean, my God. That, you know. that and also the director is one of my favorites. Just continually making, I mean, first off, The Exorcist, French Connection, To Live and Die in L.A., which, by the way, it, it, that's playing August 1st, Tuesday, August 1st. If you're free, please come see it. It's That's yeah, a that's a film that I show people and I always tell them, listen, do me a favor. Don't read anything about it at all. Just really? trust me. Come to it. You, you know, you're a movie, uh, uh, let's say a cinephile. Isn't it annoying when you're always right about a film that someone would like and yet when you recommend them to someone, they're like, yeah, I don't know. And I <laughs> no, I know. I never like the pot. I never like anything that everyone likes. I always like these weird things that are like that critics don't like <laughs> and then when critics love something i watch it and i'm like what i'm like this is awful i'm like what are you talking about this is terrible i have a slight problem with seeing modern films i though although i'm very interested in seeing barbie oppenheimer yeah. yeah but like i don't know i know yeah did you see barbie no it froze 
You froze. That's okay. We we're just freezing there together. We I like I like we're the unity. We're freezing when it's hundred degrees out. And it's I know. See, warming. <laughs> it is, but you you and I we're we're not going along with the mainstream. We're gonna freeze a little bit. We're gonna freeze. There's something flying around in here. See, this is what the heat does. It lets these varmints in. <laughs> Look at that. It's flying around. Do you see it? I don't. I don't. So I'm hoping that it's a hallucination. So, but uh, to me, I'll take it like that because I kind of like that mixed in, but I know it's not. Let me just say, Um, Varmint makes me uh, think of your original location, I guess, where you were born and grew up, Oklahoma. Would would, Tell me what it was like growing up because people always have an assumption about what it was like growing up in the South, which is usually borne out by actual stories, but a lot of us uh, us coastal types tend to have a shitty attitude towards other parts of the country. And I, I want to know what how it was for you, again, because we're the same age. So our cultural references, or like say, the fact that we grew up in the 80s where people said fag like every third word, it gives a different context to someone growing up in Oklahoma and like now after drag race and all of that. How was it for you? Well, for me, it was kind of, uh, you know, I was very fortunate because my daddy was the high school football coach. And I grew up in a really, really, really small town in southwestern Oklahoma. Um, I think there were 60 people in the graduating class. I think there were like 2,500 people in the whole town. We had one stoplight and um a courthouse and a bat a a bait and tackle shop and a john deere tractor shop um so yeah super small town football's taken very seriously as it should be be. i love football myself i am a wide receiver um (laughs) but yeah so i kind of had that going for me my older brother uh was the all-star athlete um and then my uncle of course was mickey mantle uh big new york yankees legend baseball player from oklahoma so i had those kind of things going for me already so because of that i did not experience a, a level of like bullying uh because i was way 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 I, I mean i was a girl i was extremely effeminate little girly boy and uh always dressed up like boy george and everything and i think because i had that level of uh protection going on there and because my parents were so amazing that you know they were uh, they embraced me they embraced my differences um, they loved me unconditionally as every parent should mm-hmm. for their child. Yeah. Um, it's a crazy so, concept. Uh, hopefully people, right? <laughs> you're going to have children and they turn out gay or trans or bi or lesbian or something, you know, love them unconditionally. Cause that's your job as a fucking parent. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I hate that argument when people say, well, but my parents, you know, they didn't know anything. Neither did mine. My parents didn't know shit about gay, lesbian, trans, anything. They were like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> and they were like, you know what? We don't understand it, but we love you. Um, and I went to my dad in the seventh grade and I said, dad, you're literally throwing a football at me that I'm never going to touch because it's dirty. 
It falls into wet grass, and I'm not going to get wet grass on my hands. I'm going to stick to acting and singing, and I'm not doing this anymore. It's ridiculous. And he was like, I think that's the best, wisest thing you've ever said. Please don't do this. <laughs> I said, thank you. So we got that out of the way. But yeah, no, I didn't, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, you know, my parents instilled in me a lot, a lot, a lot of confidence too. And I think um, I I carried that confidence with me in this small town. And it almost established this thing in me that said, I don't give a fuck what people think of me. And it, it, I almost loved the idea and the fact that I was different than everyone. Like if I were to walk into a room and I not be different than everyone, I didn't like that. So I kind of love the fact that I grew up in an environment like that and did not grow up in a big city like LA or New York or something. Not to mention the fact that I would probably be dead by now because I was you know, on the streets, like hooked on <laughs> any drug that came my way. Um, but um, so, yeah, I just, I, I embraced, I, I had a wonderful childhood, wonderful childhood. And um, I was allowed to, be who I want to be. I was allowed to, uh, you know, have a wide imagination, just go out into a field of corn and, and play whatever I want to play and be whoever I want to be. And so you were one of the children of the corn. The, I was. I was the children of the corn playing like I was Wonder Woman. It was amazing. That's good. You know, I wish they had that in the film, but I know that they changed the true story to just make it about Malachi or, or whatever. They always, you know, they dumb it down. It's sad. Right. But uh, that's a, a wonderful thing to hear. I had read some uh, bits and right. bobs about that, but I also like to point out that um, the perception. It is very, uh, feel, I do feel for people that grow up. In, like Say, that. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Because it froze. It, I'm sure I'm freezing now. Did uh, it froze for a second? You said you're really um, happy when you are. Oh, I was just saying I'm very, very fortunate for that, but I definitely understand that's in one story when you have an environment that, you know, it's uh, it's hard, you know. It's you know, tough. definitely. And Especially with everything going on now. You know? yeah, so this is something that we brought up before and it bears repeating and further ex exploration because how the fuck have we slid back, even though par people always have to remember that all the advances, which took a long time to achieve, can always be, if not taken away, severely damaged in, I don't know, three months? Three months to what? Oh, uh, so like the rate of destruction is so much greater than the rate of achieving certain things, which uh, oftentimes are taken for granted often in the way or similar to the way that we were talking about in the 90s, where it seemed like, you know, okay, Greg, culturally, this is an integration, and not even uh, a hit you over the head, very earnest. Now we like gay people. Gay people, gay people, queer people, however anyone wants to interpret it, were just part of truth or dare. It wasn't like, they're gay. That's a good thing. You should be nice to them. It, you know, it was just, introducing things to people yeah we live in crazy times right now i mean it's it's really you know i think what's happening is um 
the pandemic, Black Lives Matters, uh, all of these things kind of took the. Am I frozen? You know what? I, I, this time I'm gonna I'm gonna stop to send you a new link. Sometimes it's just like you hang up the phone and it's fine. So I'll do that, and then we'll take our chances. How does that sound? We are there now. Are we here? We are, but th- this keeps happening. So l- um, let me just send you a new link. It's going to keep happening, though. I think it's. I think it's my thing. It keeps saying bad connection, but I don't have a bad connection. I have all my bars. Oh, okay. Huh. You know what? Honestly, honestly, let's just try the humor. Me. Uh, but yeah, what I was saying is, I think kind of. Uh, yeah. Just humor me because it keeps freezing. So I- I'm gonna. I'm not hanging up on you. Mere moments later. There we go. And actually, the pause enabled me to uh, stand up and go, where the hell is my vape that I was actually using, not the empty one? And as usual, on the black couch, it was just sitting there underneath me. Which What's uh, in your vape? What's that? What's in your vape? Just nicotine. I'm a massive nicotine addict. I used to be a heavy smoker. Not a heavy smoker. I'll just say, now it seems like a heavy smoker because you think, God, that was a lot. And I used to smoke the Nat Sherman's the very long ones. So I, I always wanted to smoke the Fantasias, but though they were multicolored, they just they just weren't as good. Were you ever uh, a smoker? You alluded to uh, a potential propensity uh, for stimulants and other things. Oh, we're freezing again. You were right. I know. I don't know what it is. I alluded to what? You alluded to the potentiality if you had grown up in um new york or los angeles of uh being a little bit out of it on drugs of many kinds or maybe you meant just like pseudofed what's that Uh, no i i i uh i've done a lot of drugs in my lifetime a lot nothing hardcore really but yeah i was a cigarette smoker for many years um I think it kind of came with the territory. That's when I was going through my whole Lilith Fair phase, you know, with the Indigo Girls and Tracy Chapman and Jewel. And so it was just kind of natural to, you know, I started smoking weed and then cigarettes and all that. So, yeah, but I don't smoke anymore. I smoke weed, but I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. What strains are your favorite? Sativa. I'm a citrus wave girl. I am a sativa girl through and through. I do not like indica. I mean, I'm tired all the time as it is. I don't, I don't need weed to make me more tired. I need weed to pick me up. So, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't do weed. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sativa girl is what you said. Okay. Um, oh, I, yeah. So I can't smoke weed, although before I got properly medicated for bipolar, which was just uh, around Christmas last year, I was heavily, heavily uh, uh, using ketamine to self-medicate, which now I'm glad that I picked the right one because they use it in treatment for depressive disorders and everything. But it's a little hard to uh, sustain that. Not great for your nasal passages, but uh, weed I've always flipped out when I had weed, which now it's kind of funny to me because, you know, lots of most people smoke weed. I would have a bit and wig out and then I'd be next to people who are like, oh, yeah, I'll try ketamine. They'd have one teeny tiny bump and be like, oh, I don't know what's going on. I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, (laughs) so 
interesting. I don't even know what ketamine is. Oh, I know. Well, it's not popular amongst uh, the performers that you mix with. So, um, no, but ketamine is something that is typically, uh, it's used, you know, in, uh, as a, uh, what do you call it? Anesthetic in surgeries for different muscles. But then someone realized that you could get uh, high on it. To me, because I don't drink, I haven't for like 17 years or something. To me, it's the, it would be kind of like the goof up. I'd be like, oh, I feel a little, feel a little relaxed. So, that uh, with the multi- uh-huh. yeah well uh, uh, although I tried that after being medicated properly and I was like oh I'm getting all the side effects and none of the benefits and I'm thankful that I was able to say yeah, I don't I don't think I'm doing this anymore so uh, with you right. with you when you have a habit that you're not too fond of like smoking etc um, are you able to just say that or was um, obviously smoking is a struggle because I have this in my hand more than my son has his uh pacifier in his hand but yeah so for you i'm cold turkey i'm very very disciplined if i i mean you know that's the thing i i joke a lot about you know being a a wine and weed girl i mean i i love my wine and i love my weed and i talk about it a lot you know and it's just kind of like a go-to like how do you you know write a play well i smoke a lot of weed and drink a lot of wine but the thing about me is, is whenever I'm in performance mode, when, I, when I'm not writing, when I'm actually taking what I've written and now taking it to the stage to perform, I don't smoke weed before I perform or anything. And I, if, if anything, I'll have like a few, you know, sips of wine or something. So I, I'm very disciplined. Like I can, like when I decided to quit smoking, I just went, nope, done. Stop smoking cigarettes. And I just quit the next morning and that was it. I'm very much that way. A lot of people don't know. I actually go to the gym five days a week too. So I'm a huge, crazy gym person. And I'm there on the elliptical an hour and a half a day doing all my little lifting weights and all the cardio and all the bullshit. <laughs> you have to. I mean, you know, when you're a hundred years old, like I am, you know, you have to like do all this shit to like, you know, stay looking presentable. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because as I said, we're the same age, give or take a couple months. And I've never been a gym person because I, I had a lot of weight issues when I was younger. So I think I, I have a phobic thing about that. But I, I need to get over that. I've been taking more walks. I'm a bit of a, I'm a, bit of a shut-in, slightly agoraphobic sometimes uh, on my better days. Are you like that too? Complete recluse. I'm a cancer. So the thing about cancers is we we exist inside of our shells. We're called crabs, moon children, crabs. Um, we in, are in our shells, and then we decide to come out, and then we go back in. So yeah, I'm very much a recluse, but it doesn't keep me from working out, right? Or performing. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? So uh, let me see if my assumption is correct that maybe uh, going to parties isn't your favorite thing. Oh terrible if i can play a character i'm totally good if i get to show up and be be a character on stage and and become another person i'm golden if i have to show up somewhere like right now and be kelly it's horrifying to me it's it's i just i don't know what to do like i'm like how do i even talk or form a word or even move you know well the good I thing don't. is the good thing is we scripted this whole thing out beforehand and i just yes, want to mention that yes. so people understand all rehearsed, all rehearsed. <laughs> that's right we did intensive rehearsal too 
Uh, we've been weeks, yeah. weeks. That's why it took us weeks to finally get together to do this because we were going over the rewrites and everything. Right. <laughs> Even the bit where it was like, oh, I'm sorry, we started late. We That was one of the first things we wrote. Well, they scripted. Now, when you <laughs> post it, is this video that's posted? Is that is that all right? Yeah, totally. Good. Well, I mean, I mean looks, you know, you dress I, for the occasion. I mean, I had to put on all this shit for a reason today, but <laughs> it's, it's out of, you know, the same day, so you might as well. Who's yeah. texting them? Find out. Oh, I want to know. Tell them I said hi. Oh, well, please tell. Uh, is it Jasmine? Jasmine, my man. <laughs> Jasmine's well, I th- not I miss, my man. I, I misheard. I heard. I thought it was manager. But please say hello to your man for me. I will. <laughs> Thank you. And I hope that we uh, see each other in a social so, so, social situation where we're both a little bugged out about being in one. I can be sometimes fully gregarious, and I'm a fairly gregarious person, but sometimes, and now I know it possibly because of the bipolar, uh, which now the, the medication has helped because my version is bipolar too which you don't get the flights of fancy quite on the manic scale, which I'm thankful for. But sometimes when I have a hypomanic episode, I'm like, gee, manic looks like more fun. You get real enthusiastic and not just like cranky and suspicious. Uh, But uh, Mm. so sometimes I'm like, this is great. Then other times I'm like, I really want to see this performer uh, who's, you know, performing down at Revolver Bar five, 10 minutes away from me. And I just can't seem to get out the door. But again, I'm hoping that we can be at a social function where we're both uncomfortable together. Um, actually, when I met oh. you, and this makes more sense to me now, when I first met you, it was at Tammy Brown's gala, and oh yeah, and I was trying to, I was sort of doing a reporter on the street thing, but I had too much gear with me, so I was a little thrown. Also, one of the queens that was performing, I won't name who, was really coming for me, like in a sexual way and I, which was flattering but after a while i was like please please leave me alone <laughs> which so, one i don't want to say or i'll say it and i'll bleep it out oh, it was okay. the older uh performer i can't remember their name they're a veteran they Jackie? Their, no 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 that that i wouldn't mind that but uh, no, pulled hair. But yeah, because Jackie had her sexual awake- awakening right about that time. It was like she went from zero to three thousand. <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought she was doing a bit. I'll I'll look it up and I'll text you later. Uh, now you mentioned your man. From what I recall from reading about you and um, the private detective work that you, anyway, you don't need to know about that because that might be disturbing. But. Um, You've uh, had a long and uh, fruitful relationship with your man. Am I correct? Uh, we have. I've been I've been very lucky in love in my life, and uh, James is an incredible, incredible person, and such a cool guy. And um, I've been blessed with a lot of great people in my life. Absolutely. When did you meet and James? My, my oh, best so- friend Tony. My best friend Tony and I. Uh, we still um coexist in each other's lives and we got together when we were like super super young like little teeny toddlers right out of the out of the wounds out of the closet so yeah i've been blessed with so many amazing people in my life men now i've recently uh, noticed something or experienced something where 
uh, with the bipolar, uh, I'm you know very good at masking it. And it, and yet a friend said to me, uh, "It's okay because I was officiating their wedding, and I I was in an I was having an episode, but I told them, and I skipped the um, what do you call it? Not bachelor party, but there's like you know the bachelor uh, the groom side hangout in Joshua Tree. And Ada, my partner, helped me to realize like I don't think this is a good idea. I probably shouldn't go, which is really good. But then. Two days before, I was like, oh, I should let them know. I'm officiating their wedding. I'll be like, I said, everything, it's all good. It's gone. But they knew it wasn't. But so, but you know, you can mask. And, and I wonder, did did you ever have a period when you were sort of coming to terms with what m- multiple personality disorder is where you would try to mask? And if so, is that something you're able to do with your disorder? No, I don't mask it at all. I love it. I embrace it. Um it's definitely a part of who I am. As I said, I, I, as you get older, you learn how to manage it. I turn it into art. I don't see it as a problem. I don't see it as, as anything to hold me back. Um, and I think it's exciting. I think it's fun. But yeah, I'm very open about it. Whenever I start a relationship with someone or something, I'm like, by the way, I'm fucking crazy. So, um, like, literally crazy. Um, but yeah, I love it. I think it's great. I mean, you know, that's the thing. Like, I'm getting ready to do this solo tour, and it's called An Evening Without Kelly Mantle, and I wrote this this show, um, and it's about being crazy, but it's not just me. The world that we're living in right now is fucking batshit bonkers crazy right yeah. now. Yeah. And so I find it difficult to believe that anyone as, as stable and, and sane as you may be are not experiencing some shift in in craziness you know i mean you can have your finances in order your love life your career your professional life, everything in order but we're still living underneath this sense of like doom and destruction at any moment you know so i think we're all at a level of bipolar or something you know at this point um and so what I try to do is I try to, like I said earlier, laughter is life's lubricant. Joan Rivers says you have to laugh at everything. I try to find ways to talk about that um, through art that is in a fresh way, that's not a repeat of everything you've already read on Twitter. And I add entertainment value to it and turn it into song and dance. And uh, I think that's the best way to handle it. You know, I mean, I kind of like the, the show that I just wrote that I'm getting ready to go on tour with. It's kind of like a cross between Sandra Bernhardt's Without You, I'm Nothing and a John Waters film. So it's kind of like, you know, those worlds combined talking about the craziness of the world that we live in right now. And I've always found that to be the best way to get a message across entertainment, like hitting people over the head with an overly earnest message what the fuck is that going to do because i think people react like yeah listen i know how the world works and you need to sort of uh inveigle your way in with entertaining i think that's the way to communicate a message that's more powerful than anything for john waters as you mentioned look hairspray there's very few films that deal with racism in such an effective way he even said or says look even racists like that movie yeah. Well, that's what I love about him. He's able to take socio-political uh, events that are happening in our time and in our culture, and he's able to turn them into comedy, you know, 
And I think that's always the best way to approach any uncomfortable conversation or situation is through comedy. And that's not to say don't take it seriously. And that's not to say that solutions need to be, you know, uh, you know, come up with and invented and stuff. But if you can somehow all come together through comedy and find a way to laugh through it, you can, you're going to find a, a better way of solving it than through anger or aggression or uh, frustration or retaliation or anything, I think. I agree. And also the intense polarization, which on, on yeah. one hand I can understand, but I think that is so counterproductive to what we need to do. I know there's a lot of talk about reaching across the aisle, but I think that that, that is also true in interpersonal relationships. I mean, listen, if you have a litmus test I for- I don't want to of these people. I don't want these people in my life anymore. I want them gone. I want them all to move to Florida and just fall off into the ocean. I don't want them here anymore. Well, listen, and, I, you know, I was—I yeah. think I, I was being too magnanimous about that. Uh, I'm more thinking, I think, like I was at a party and someone said something that really clashed with my personality or my beliefs. But I was like, I like this person. So, what, what's the way to not sort of like be obsequious or or just completely abandon my values, but sort of go back and forth with an attitude of confidence and also like. Instead of going, well, yeah, no, but I don't know, but think about this, because I find that, you know, that that jumping through hoops to sort of gain approval. It seems like you have not had that, that sort of people pleaser thing. Am I on the right track with that? Yeah, I never have been a people pleaser. And that's probably why <laughs> that's probably why my career is not more, I guess, successful um than others and stuff yeah I'm a, I'm a terrible people pleaser i'm not <laughs> i'm here to please myself and my man and my gynecologist and that's about it really <laughs> and really you want to make sure the gynecologist is happy that's more important <laughs> than the audience but uh, i'm not I, here to please anyone <laughs> but but yourself and i think that that's the way to live life because if you do put your needs first and dispel this notion that you're being selfish or whatever you have to it's like even if you like for instance some people get married they don't really want to get married and then that never turns out well or have a child and they don't want to it's not going to go great so even if it can not destroy but i guess create a rupture in a relationship maybe that's not the one for you so no, absolutely. I mean, you know, not to be cheesy, but it goes back to the whole RuPaul saying, how the hell are you going to love someone else if you can't love yourself? You have to be your best self if you're going to be the best for someone else. You know, you can't be the best for someone else if you're not your best self. So you yeah. have to take you have to take care of yourself first. You have to put yourself first in order to put yourself out there for someone else. Yeah, exactly. And also find your tribe, if you will, to use another uh, expression that some people find trite, just like chosen family, or the quote that you just mentioned from RuPaul, which I think might be one of the most powerful things ever on that show, besides the fact that it's become a, a, a go-to entertainment source for people, which once again offers that uh, that 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 uh, benefit that we were discussing about get the people entertained then they'll realize something about the people that maybe they didn't understand or don't want to understand. And obviously it's well-trodden territory about your experience with drag race. But if there's anything you'd like to add to that, which 
my sense is that you felt like you were cannon fodder, which was un- unfair. But uh, do you have any other thoughts that you'd like to share about being on the on the show? And I, I'm saying this aloud so I can remember it because I don't like to look at notes. Um, which again is the unpre- unprofessional thing that I try to emphasize by starting Zooms late. Um, the, uh, well, I, well I, I guess I'll do uh, your show. That's the thing I wanted to remember. And I'm going to write it down right now because I want to know more about it. But please, uh, thumbnail sketch of your feelings about Drag Race. You mean Drag Race as a whole? I guess both that. It's up to you. If uh, Drag Race as a whole or your experience on it. Well, my experience, you know, I mean, it, listen, I love being, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to have been a part of it. I, I love being a part of the, the drag race culture. I think the fans are fucking amazing. I love interacting with them online. Um, I think there's been a lot of amazing queens produced from the show. Um, I've had the chance to work with two of the most popular drag queens in the world next to RuPaul, Trixie and Katya, just finished their tour with them. They're two of the coolest fucking people in the world and hilarious. Um, and and so amazing much to work with, to too. Like, they're never. And, uh, um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say, uh, or not going to, I did. Oh, no, I was, yeah, I, I just remember you had the thing with Katya, yeah. Yeah, and then I did a couple shows with Trixie, and I just. So you know. Yeah, exactly. They're just wonderful to work with and constantly hilarious even when you're just at lunch you know some people are like crusty the clown the the light goes off and they're like Bleh. not the case with them yeah. no not at all not at all they're so so much fun and i'm so blessed to have gotten to work with them i'm thankful for them giving me this platform because you know drag race did not give me that platform and that's fine it's not really my gig i'm not a look queen um, I'm not a runway queen, you know, I can handle the comedy and the acting and the stand-up and the music and shit, but I can't handle looks. I'm not, <laughs> that's not something that I'm interested in at all. Um, so it's, it is what it is and I'm totally fine with it, you know, but going back on RuPaul's quotes, I do love that RuPaul has these uh, canned um, quotes that he's used his whole life and i've always said i love this one and i'm not reading rue i i live for rue i mean she's legendary and she's done legendary things obviously um so mad respect but i do think that one of the quotes is so ironic and funny it says what other people think of you is none of your business and i'm like but you literally have a career out of (laughs) telling other people what (laughs) you think of them and and eliminating so i don't understand how that coincides with your one of your little uh quotes that you say all the time <laughs> it would be great if one of the queens said well and then maybe they have like well as you know what other people think of you eh, doesn't matter <laughs> None no. <laughs> and then i think they'd be voted off i think they'd be voted off uh something i've said a few times on the show but i think and to go back what we were saying about the uh culture being a little restrictive in terms of content i don't like using political correctness because i think that that's been weaponized by uh, a lot of evildoers but the notion that she should be doing more than she is and that's true in some areas but the idea of canceling rupaul and discounting what rupaul has done in general like the net positive is it's pretty good but more important than that little show, which I think it's on the way up, and I, I really think they're onto something, and I think that one day it's going to crack through. But 
Uh, oh, so before your show also, the reason obvious uh, to me that that's obvious is that why performers like Trixie and Katya and others uh, venerate you, uh, think of you so highly, take you on tour. I imagine you were the first choice that they had just based on my knowledge of them. I believe is because of your assiduous um, dedication to just doing what you want. And that also, isn't it better to have maybe a smaller than other queens who have been on the show, but uh, audience, but a dedicated audience, one that understands you? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think it really comes from just, I mean, I'm an actor for I'm sorry, it froze froze, froze again. I'm sorry, it froze again. I I think you said you're an actor. Oh, yeah. I was just answering your question about um, why some queens might choose me to be a part of their projects. I think it's because I'm just, I'm an actor first uh, before I'm a drag queen. I think that's just from my experience. I didn't I didn't grow up in in uh, performing drag in bars or nightclubs and having to come up with you know five or six looks you know a week and different numbers and every night. I, I all of my drag started in theater, and I am impressed out the ass of these queens that are able to do that and come up with all of that because you know I came up with you know I was handed a script and say you know here play this role but I had other people doing my costumes and makeup for me usually so that's why I always say I'm an actor first and you know before a drag queen so I think maybe that's why because just the there's you know the acting is there so yeah well you're an all-rounder and as we discussed so about your show how many of these shows Mm -hmm. how many shows have you written and and well, I guess answer that one first before I load you down with three questions in a row. Uh, uh, tell me more about your show that you would like to divulge before people enjoy the surprise and magic that they will when they go to it. Surprise magic. Well, yeah, it's um, it's called An Evening Without Kelly Mantle, and I actually owe uh, that title to Jinx Monsoon. She's the one that came up with that title. Um, but it fits the show perfectly because I'm basically playing a bunch of characters um, and I'm never playing myself, which makes me very happy. Um, It's acting, singing, dancing. I sing everything from Lana Del Rey to Broadway. Um, And as I said before, it's kind of like Sandra Bernhardt's Without You, I'm Nothing mixed with John Waters, a little bit of Lily Tomlin's Search for Signs thrown in there, Um, stand-up comedy dancing acting singing it's 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 like a fun house fever dream inside of a fun house mirror at a carnival and i do apologize for uh uh, eliciting answers out of you that you may have illuminated for me before uh because but that's what we wrote into the script so i shouldn't apologize for that i think um yes and there's lots of improv. There's also I break the fourth wall a lot, and the audience is a huge part of the show. If you want to be, if you don't want to be, I won't harass you. Now, what Only number show slash tour is this for you? Well, now this is actually I've never done a solo tour before. I've done solo shows. Um, I had a, a big solo show that I did uh, called "The Confusion of My Illusion" that I wrote. And I performed at the Gay and Lesbian Center here in L.A. at the, speaking of Lily Tomlin, at the Lily Tomlin Jane Wagner Cultural Arts 
center there and Lily and Jane came and saw my show. Um, so that was like my first solo tour. And then I've done tons of standup, um, but I've never actually gone on tour as a solo artist. So right. this is kind of, I, I just did the tour with Trixie and Katya, but that was their tour. So this is like my first solo tour to go out on. So I don't really have like a touring audience built up, you know, like Tammy and Coco and Jackie and Sherry Banya. A lot of these girls have been touring for years and I've never done it before. I've just pretty much stayed in my own little bubble and television and film and theater here in LA, but, um, and stand up. So this is my first venture out as a solo touring artist. So please come see the show. So it doesn't end up being an evening without an audience. <laughs> that's a different show that I know you're workshopping right now. <laughs> yes, that's my only fan, you know. <laughs> uh, what's, uh, what's your sexual habits like? Not just with one person, but uh, I'm always curious if your relationship, uh, this is not the thing that's on my mind, your relationship and specifics every day, but I'm always curious about people's level of monogamy, uh, what works for them, etc. So, what would, what what's your uh, what's your bag? Wow, you're gonna go there, are you, Mister Craig? <laughs> indeed, I'm indeed. Blushing. I'm uh -huh. blushing. Well, since you're an attractive Perfect. lady, I must know. I, I just can't help my prurient <laughs> interests. Right. Um, currently, I am in a monogamous relationship, very happily with my man um i haven't uh always been that way i mean i've always been a, a dating kind of person um, um yeah that's who uh nogam is together uh, yep. uh, I, uh, I love being a pillow princess i'm a master yeah. <laughs> well, you listen, you do so more, much work and so much uh, varied work in the rest of your life. You know, some places, just, just a little rest and relaxation and edification. Are you... you know, uh, yeah, is my understanding that you Basically, you're... the rules are no touching from here up. <laughs> <laughs> this is off limits. <laughs> Anything from the neck down... Do not, <laughs> do not touch this area. Now, is that actually true? I mean, it's very funny as a joke yeah. if you wanted it to be. And if it's true, maybe that's insulting for me to that ask. Yes, I make sure that, that, no, it's, you have to, I have to have the lighting set up perfectly. Um, you know, the hair laid perfect. And what about, Makeup uh, perfect. Yeah, well, certainly, certainly. I mean, that's essential to uh any um oh. any uh canoodling what was your first sexual experience my first sexual experience um well i don't know uh there was there was a little cowboy uh boy in oklahoma um that we were hanging out in a house together that was being built and we were sitting on some concrete slabs and he looked at me and he was like, I want to kiss you. And I was like, okay. And he leaned in and he kissed me. And so that was like my first kiss. 
Well, it's such a romantic environment. I can understand the concrete slab, the you know, the the exposed beams. Yeah. Yes, it was very bad. And ever since then, I've only ever been like attracted to like blue color. <laughs> So it definitely struck a chord in me, you know. I've had my fair share of like athletes and actors and musicians and politicians and none of them do it for me, honey. His fingernails are as dirty as his mind. You know what I mean? What's that say again? I said where his fingernails are as dirty as his mind. It's a beautiful thing. So, would you be would you be one of the ladies that actually enjoys the cat calling that is so often associated with builders? Huh? Would you be one of the ladies uh, that actually enjoys the cat calling that is uh, commonly associated with folks working on a work site? I can definitely respect any woman who does not want that, but it does not bother me in the least bit. Now, in terms I appreciate- of appreciate and that's good it's good that uh something that's usually so awful for many people there's someone that enjoys it that you know like certain films that we talked about um in terms of film in terms of the television uh, you've worked with some really interesting people namely gary Busey. now usually in a chat (laughs) with people i never i've always find it kind of like annoying when they're like hey what were they like wow what was it like working with brad pitt but Gary Busey, I mean, I can't get enough info about that guy. Yeah, I know. And you know what's crazy about him? Well, first of all, he's an Oklahoma, well, not an Oklahoma, he's an Oklahoman as well. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize he's actually, uh, I can't remember if he won or not about Gary Busey. He was actually, I don't know if he won, but he was nominated for Oscar. I think he uh, might have won for for the Buddy Holly story. Um, off the chain. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I know he was nominated. I don't know if he won or not. He's Either way, chain. really He's impressive. Well, first of all, that movie was insane because we're shooting. Uh, they were night shoots. Yeah. No, he's he's batshit. I mean, you talk about someone who's batshit crazy, you know. What, and what, I think it's just from of drugs that he lives a lifetime even though he says he doesn't do them anymore um i think he takes so many vitamins that it makes him crazy like he's literally crazy and when we first met um we were in the diner that we were shooting in and he walked up to me and he's like what's your name and i said i'm kelly and he's like i'm gary and he grabbed my tits and went and i was like okay (laughs) this is happening and I think most people, this, this was right at the beginning of the Me Too movement. So I think most people would have taken that and ran with it and said, I was sexually assaulted by Gary Busey on this set. But I just grabbed his tits back and went, burr, burr. I was like, you know, if you can grab mine, I can grab yours. I mean, let's go for it. Yeah, fair is fair, so, as they said in Legend of Billy yeah, Jean. a trip to work with. But, you know, Yes. The great thing about him, though, is that he he loves to do what I do. You throw the script out and it's just action and you improv, you improvise, you improv. And that's what we did together was we improvised all of our scenes together. What's the typical reaction for the directors on projects where you do that, which it sounds like you do that on pretty much every project? 
Well, I mean, I'm not allowed to do it a lot. And luckily, the director on this project was also the screenwriter. He also wrote the script. And so he actually encouraged us to do that. I mean, he's like, you know, obviously, and if you're a good improviser, you'll know there's points in the script that need to be pointed out, even in your improv, like, oh, you were wearing a red shirt that day, you know, whatever the things, certain things for the plot needs to be mentioned, obviously. Um, but he was very, yeah, he was very like open to us just throwing it out and like, you know, being in the moment. And, and clearly it seems he's very adept at it. Um, because you know, th that improv bit with grabbing your boobs and he, uh, from what I remember, well, I from, wasn't on camp. Well, that's just improv though. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to do a, this is a bold choice and I'm going to embrace it. Uh, he had a motorcycle accident sometime in the late eighties or early nineties and Dr. Drew on Celebrity Rehab's assessment of him was that he damaged that part of the brain, I can't remember, the frontal cortex, where there's the filter that precludes you from doing certain things. Is that his excuse? <laughs> I believe so. He, and he didn't voice it himself, but I was like, That's, that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, and one thing, one last thing about Busey is there's an amazing uh, arc in the Celebrity Apprentice season that he appeared on with Meatloaf, which I wanted to watch after I saw this scene, but people can Google this. Um, there was some challenge where they had to use materials for crafting. Meatloaf could not find his bag of goods, and he was suspicious of Gary the whole time. He has an absolute total meltdown in it crying and screaming because he thinks Gary has been messing with him. Turns out Gary had nothing to do with it. And Gary's a little shocked. It, it's worth watching. It's a, it's it's like Lily Tomlin screaming at uh, David O. Russell. Right. That, yeah. Do you have... Uh... That's funny. One of my favorite moments from Celebrity Apprentice. I think we're freezing again. That's okay. So one of your favorite moments from Celebrity Apprentice. Oh, it was when Dionne Warwick was on uh, with uh, Marley. Um, what is her name? Marley Matlin? Yes. Madeline, and am I saying her name right? Matlin, yeah. Um, the Wonderful Death. Yes. So, obviously, what's her name? Marley Matlin, uh, star of Children of a Lesser God. Yes, Children of a Lesser God. Wonderful. I actually did that in college. But she, um, obviously, she had a, a sign language interpreter there with her. <laughs> and so... <laughs> He was he was speaking for Marley as they were sitting around the table having a meeting and they were trying to decide what to do. And it was a really high pressure moment. And Dionne Warwick was like, well, I think we should do this. And then Marley's interpreter was speaking for her and saying, well, I think we should do this, blah, blah, blah. And Dionne looks at him and said, well, you don't have no say in this. You ain't a part of this. <laughs> <laughs> Not realizing that he was speaking. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, shut up. <laughs> that was hilarious. That's wild. I have to look that up because uh, Dion, because she sang such beautiful, melodious, uh, gentle songs, or that's what she became known for with, through the, via the Bacharach and David songs. Uh, I always find it hilarious and surprising when you read something like, yeah, she was busted at the airport with like 40 joints or something. I know. I know. Yeah. She's, that's what friends are for. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely the antithesis of a very nice, friendly song. I love her. I love her on Twitter. She's amazing.
She is. Uh, and actually, that reminds me of the first appearance of, uh, that's another Bacharach David song, uh, but it was first heard in one of my favorite early 80s films, Night Shift. Yeah. Very pro sex worker. Um, do, you, do you know any sex workers? I was. <laughs> do I know any sex workers? I know tons of sex workers and I love them all. So I to LA uh, as a trans sex worker. And I know a lot of people, you know, they've got their little documentaries and they want to talk shit about all that and stuff. I mean, listen, you know, I had just moved here. I was trying to get work as an actor, you know, and the world came up and. I actually got the opportunity to work with Stephen Bochco, the creator of NYPD Blue, one-on-one and the writing team to make that role uh, what it was and to have a heart and to give positive light on the character. And then they brought me back. It was a recurring role um, on several episodes. Uh, So I'm actually very proud of that work and I'm very proud of that role and I don't see anything wrong with it at all. Um, but I did go out and, and cause I had, you know, was fresh off the boat from Oklahoma pretty much. And I'd never been around sex workers of any kind. So I went out on the corner of Santa Monica and Highland. I did character study, um, with some of the most amazing women that I met there on the corners, but they were all getting mad at me because a lot of the guys would drive up and be like, Oh no, I want to talk to her. And I was like, Oh no, I'm just doing character work. I'm not, I'm not out working. I'm not for sale, but just doing the character work and then they were all like okay you need to get on our corner because we need to make money now (laughs) yeah i know tons of sex workers tons of strippers um i'm all about it i love it jumbo's clown room is one of my favorite places to go in in hollywood it's fabulous and uh that gives me a couple ideas knowing that there's a couple sex workers there because the you know they're all beautiful uh and i and i like to say and i believe you're fairly um omnisexual uh, the way i like to describe myself is sexually omnivorous because i was at a, an after party after uh, a club night and there was a, a bunch of gays who couldn't wrap their head around the notion that i like all sorts of things they were like wait a second wait are mm-hmm. you this and they even said the stuff like well so you're just gay and i was like no okay so my primary partner is a woman and both of mm-hmm. us are queer. And like I had to explain it four or five times, which again, I don't understand. I Isn't it strange? Yeah. It's never made sense to me. I'm a, I, one of my jokes has always been, you know, I'm all the above. I'm a gay, bisexual, transgender, lesbian. Because uh, I'll eat anything with a sneeze guard over it. You know, it <laughs> one time um, at a supermarket, I saw a woman with her head underneath the sneeze guard. Wow. I turned her on. Well, yeah, I guess maybe I guess so. Maybe if I can get her number, I'll, I'll pass it along to you. Though I, you know what, you're monogamous, so I don't know if that would be helpful. Um, I am. I'm very monogamous, but uh, but no, I've been with I've been with women. I've been with men. I've been with uh, I've never been with a a trans person, and I'm certainly not against that idea. But I just it's never uh, shown itself to me to, to form a relationship. But I've been with every everything pretty much i just you know i'm attracted to the person it doesn't matter what gender sexual preference they are i I feel i'm similar in that even though i arrived at that realization a bit later in life but now i'm trying to make up for lost time uh now you were on nypd blue as you mentioned and i'm just curious did you get to see dennis franz's ass because i know that that was displayed a few times on that show Um, i did not get to see his ass but he was wonderful to work with and such a great actor and yeah he was really cool everyone that was such a great 
first big gig for me. You know, that was, I mean, everyone on the whole set was great. You know, and and and, and a, applause to that show because, and I never can remember his name. I bring this up a lot in interviews and I've got to learn his name, but they had one of the first out gay characters on television. Oh, wow. On I that show, if you remember one guy that was like the receptionist in the precinct and he was an openly gay actor playing a uh, gay man on, on television. So, oh, it froze a sec there, but um, I think you were just uh, complimenting. Did you freeze again? Yeah, I think that's the theme of the show. I'm going to call it Frozen 2 with Kelly Mantle. Um, so listeners understand there's nothing we can do about it. This is in the fate. Uh, this is it. In the hands of the of the Lord, because um, you know what the Lord wants us to stop, consider, and digest all the pearls of wisdom that we're dispensing. Uh, before you were in NYPD Blue, uh, it sounds like you had a couple acting gigs. Were you already writing uh, your own shows? I, well, I wasn't writing my own shows before NYPD Blue, but I was a, a playwright. I wrote a show in college called Holdenville that is a town in Oklahoma. And this was a show that was set in Oklahoma. Um, and the characters were five or six. I can't remember. Five or six women. It was very Steel Magnolias, uh, Crimes of the Heart kind of uh, material. And it actually went to the Irene Ryan um, Kennedy Center Theater Festival. And so that was my first time to actually write an, a full-length play and everything so it wasn't for me i was just the writer but it was i had written a lot before in white people yeah and then i wrote a few shows in chicago that got produced as well so what your trajectory was it uh, oklahoma to chicago to la yeah and Ch chicago's a big theater um, it is that's why i went there because i was doing um i got accepted to Second City and I love improv. Um, so I studied at Second City and then I um, did some uh, acting training at Steppenwolf. And uh, then we opened our own theater company while we were there. And then I got to do my first Charles Bush play, Vampire Lesbians of Sodom with the extraordinary Alexander Billings. And we became uh, good friends and are, still are after all these years. So yeah, it was a great little Stop. I was only there for like two or three years, though, because literally like I am not I am a summer sun girl like I am not. And I'm also not big on public transportation because I'm a germaphobe. So, yeah, I didn't last long. As Chicago. <laughs> it's, like it's snowing in May and I'm having to get on a subway. So get me out of here. <laughs> that's a tough one i'm from massachusetts and my parents are from nova scotia so i've experienced a lot of intense horrible cold weather which i try to avoid as much as possible one of the reasons i moved to uh, california because i also enjoy a uh, seasonal affective disorder so yeah. um yeah and when i visited for christmas recently it took about 35 minutes and i just went oh god it's 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 creeping in again and Chicago is one of the few places that's actually worse. Than oh my god! That. It was it was weather wise. It's I love the city. I love the theater, uh, but weather wise, it's I mean, literally, snow was slapping me in the face in the middle of May, and I went home and I said, "We're moving to LA. Like I'm not. This is done. I'm done. I'm just done." 
Yeah. Could you describe for folks who aren't familiar with Steppenwolf Theater? I, I have a sort of um, thumb, uh, thumb stroke, no, thumbnail, uh, broad stroke and uh, understanding of it. My understanding of theater is mostly gleaned from, you know, reading articles years ago in the 80s, really about Sam Shepard and all of that stuff, or like the collectives that produced like uh, Peter Coyote and folks like that. So if you could just give a, a, a sense of Steppenwolf to the folks. Well, Steppenwolf, I believe, was founded by John Malkovich and Gary Sinise. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Gary Sinise at this point. He's become kind of like a right-wing weirdo. But <sighs> I didn't know that. Wow. I think so. But John Malkovich, an extraordinary actor. Um, and uh, yeah, they started um, just like we did, started our own. You know, that's a great place in thing about Chicago. You can just kind of start your own theater company. There's so many little basement underground theaters there. And they started Steppenwolf and it grew into this, you know, big thing that it was. And uh, it's a very well-respected theater there where they do lots of wonderful plays. And a lot of great actors in television and film come from the theater. I think you can always tell when an actor comes from the theater as opposed to just being strictly a TV and film actor. You can always tell when they came from theater. That makes sense. Betty Buckley, um, Bill there's Peterson. a certain amount of dedication. Uh, yeah. There's nothing like it in the world. I mean, unfortunately, it does not pay the written bills uh, the way that TV and film does or should, as we're seeing in the strike. Um, but yeah, you know, theater just, you know, it's not a huge moneymaker unless you're going to see like Spider-Man on Broadway or something. But um, but then you got to be thrown <laughs> around on wires. So that's, yeah, you, you know, know. acrobatic I will do it until the day I die. I mean, it's just, there's nothing like being on that stage and creating a character and, and, and going to a world. And the great thing about it is there's literally people sitting out in front of you, but your job, unless of course you're breaking the fourth wall for some reason, your job is to completely forget they're there. And you create this whole world in front of them and, and do it for them, but you, your job is to forget they're there. And that is wild to me. I mean, of course, it's that way on a set as well, because you're surrounded by crew, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. It's a totally different experience. And theater is just exhilarating to me. I love it so much. I just love it. I love the the excitement backstage and the dressing room and the lights and the action getting ready to happen and just all of it. I just love it. So The much. roar of the audience, the smell of the grease paint. Yes, all of that. All and, of that, darling. Uh, <laughs> and it's interesting yeah. that you both like, or you, not the both of you, uh, but because um, I know that you said there's more than one personality, but uh, the, um, the 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 ability to Im enjoy improv as well as a form where you're repeating the same stuff over and over, which I know can lead to different uh, interpretations and different feelings through repetition. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's the interesting thing is that when you are doing a play that's written by an extraordinary playwright, you don't want to improvise because you're like, this could not have been written more perfectly. And the fact that I'm getting to say these words every night, you know, if you're doing an equity show, you're doing it, you know, what is it? Six, you have Monday's dark, so you're doing it, you know, six nights a week, sometimes twice a day on Fridays and Saturdays. You're you're so blessed to get to say that. And that's why I always kind of laugh. The, the, the 
the joy of improv comes in when you're dealing with someone who's not such a great writer and you're like, you know, <laughs> I can take this concept and make it really funny for you if you <laughs> want me to. <laughs> Let's face it, a lot of shit on it's just not it's not funny and it's not good and it's not well written and it's sad. But it seems like instead of uh, dwelling on that, it's it seems like you are like, and many people feel, well, let's we're all in this together, so let's try to make this the best thing that we can possibly do, which is the the thing thing to do. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's an, it's not an ego thing at all. Yeah. Whereas film, sometimes people lean into that, but I, it, it's really interesting to me what you said when people are on a film set everyone's sort of they're doing a job so anyone that's around might who knows the grip might be, not be interested but they're doing a job in aid of the thing that you all are doing but the suspension of disbelief is a fascinating thing and to me it's one of the greatest gifts that the universe has given us because that's why we're it'd be that's why we are able to transport through film and folks who can't do that i always feel so sorry for them because they're like well that wouldn't happen and i'm like yeah it doesn't matter. It's a fucking movie. It but, doesn't matter. It doesn't what, matter. It, well, yeah. and going back why I love theater so much, because you're literally having to suspend belief as they're standing in front of you. You're having to believe they're in England in 1923 or that they're in outer space, you know, right there in front of you. It's not on a movie screen. And so it's, you know. It's, you no, know, it's even more uh, impressive in, 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 both, in two ways that the performers can maintain that, but also that the audience has to do that themselves and they do it, it automatically. They don't realize. It's not like, hey, we're going to go in and, and I'm looking forward to suspending disbelief. Uh, they're just going there and then they're willing, even when the stage is like bare bones, you know, there's like maybe uh, an old uh, rotary phone on the stage, but there's not much in the right. way of special effects, etc. Exactly. I mean, that's why I love some of my favorite theater to do is Samuel Beckett. And I've done Endgame. I've never done Waiting for Godot. I would love to do it. But you've been waiting to do it. Um, when I'm older. But uh, I've been waiting to do Waiting for Godot. <laughs> but yeah, that's one of the great things about his plays is that, you know, they're all realistic and, you know, it's just usually a bare theater, you know, with the two trash cans over on the side. And Claude's throne and the ladder. Oh, oh, the ladder. That's key. If they don't have the ladder, the audience goes, what the fuck is going on here? Uh, or when I did Endgame, my my parents came to see it. <laughs> Bless their hearts. <laughs> I came out, to, or they came backstage to see me afterwards. And I was like, what'd y'all think? And my dad said, well, I didn't understand a damn thing that was going on, but I guess you did good because everyone seemed to. I was like, poor dad. He had no idea what was happening in Samuel Beckett's in game. <laughs> but they were there and they were supportive. And that's all that matters. It's really sweet. That is really sweet too. Yeah. When parents are like, I don't, I have no conception, but I know you're doing your thing and I love that and I want to support. Exactly. Harold Pinter, which Pinter play were you in? I think it was The Dumbwaiter. And the only reason I remember that is that there was an Altman uh, directed version of that. I, I That reminds me, I got to track that down. Altman's one of those people that is one of my favorite directors, but I'm sort of saving about three movies of his because I don't want 
to not have a Robert Altman movie to look forward to seeing. I think they're Thieves Like Us. I can't remember the other two, but I've watched like O.C. and Stiggs. I was like, well, this isn't a great one, so I'll watch this. Not so good. Uh, have you seen that one? I haven't. Okay. Uh, I might send you that one, but I might want to spare you the indignity. But um, Have you seen Ready to Wear? Yes, and I was really disappointed in that one. I think I might enjoy it more now. Everyone but... was, and I... Sorry, everyone was, but... I said everyone was so disappointed in that movie, and then I ate a pot brownie and watched it, and I thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. So I think that's what's missing. I think there's certain movies and plays and whatever that you have to go to a heightened level of existence to understand its magnificence. Nashville is another great Altman film. I love Nashville so much, and I was sad that I missed the recent screenings at New Beverly because I've the only time I saw it in the theater was a, a really terrible screening in Boston where the sound was fucked up, the print was shitty, and I thought, you know what? I got this on DVD. I'm going to go watch that. And then it was on Criterion, which I don't know if that's in print or out of print, but uh, uh, Pret-a-Porter, I, I think I was disappointed because it was the film immediately after Shortcuts. And I was like, yeah, this is not... One time I got to ask Lily Taylor. She was doing some kind of meet and greet thing uh -huh. for I Shot Andy Warhol. And uh, I so said, uh, it, there was like a pre-thing, a function that came with it. So there was like people having drinks. And I drank at the time, so I might have been a little too enthusiastic to talk to her. But I was like, there was someone got out of the seat that was also a fan of the film. And I just went, oh, that's for me. And I sat right in the bench and I go, hi, it's nice to meet you. Listen, I got to ask you, what was the difference between working on, on a Shortcuts and uh, Pret-a-Porter? She very, very, uh, what what's the word? Diplomatically said, oh, uh, they were very different experiences. <laughs> <laughs> but oh uh, what a brilliant i mean i shot andy warhol her portrayal of valerie solanas was that her name valerie solanas yeah. the scum man so, uh, so good she's so good in that movie so good she's incredible in that movie which is a tricky thing to do not because it's a real person that we know a lot about in terms of film there is film of her but usually the portrayals of andy warhol are nine times out of 10, eight times out of 10, let's say, horrifically bad, none worse than Crispin Glover's in Oliver Stone's The Doors. I know. And I think that's down to Oliver Stone, who wanted to paint him as an invalid. I, I just thought that was so rude. Yeah. Have you ever seen his movies? Well, they're, they're called Andy Warhol's films, but they're... Uh, really, what's his name? And I never can remember his name. Why do I always forget his that's name? That's okay, Paul you? Morrissey. Paul Morrissey, thank you. Uh, they're so good. They're so good. Hollywood Lawn. Hollywood Lawn is a huge influence of mine as an actress. Um, yeah, Joe uh, D'Alessandro, Candy, Darling. So good. Those movies are great. Incredible cast. The one I, I remember the most is the one that also features Carol Baker, Bad. Mm, yes. Yeah. That is a rough one. I love it. Yeah. it. It's the darkest of dark comedies. Uh, yeah. And I, I would love say... How she, you don't want to talk like that. I don't care what she does. She's going to get out of here and don't leave me alone. 
Also, her main gig, besides being a crime uh, overbo- uh, overlord or whatever, is uh, an electrolysis person. <laughs> well, that's what was great is none of these people were really trained actors, you know. So, they were, so the acting was so bad that it was good, you know. That's what was so great about his films. And there's a precious few other films that featured Candy Darling. However, there's one that I think I got a copy of. And if you're looking for it, please let me know. And I'll try to make notes about what I told you I'd send you. So I don't just send you like, um, I don't know, a Disney film. But uh, she was in Don Johnson's early film, The Magic Gar- Magical Garden of Stanley Sweetheart, which is sort of uh, one of those films that was almost like hey easy rider made it so let's make this kind of hippie yeah. film and all that it had a lot of uh falder all about it and then it tanked i happen to i happen to love don johnson and his early stuff it, it's mixed there's a movie called zachariah which is a country western featuring country joe and the fish elvin jones i got to see it at new beverly and it, it is so bad but he is so fucking pretty and <laughs> Like, <laughs> like breathtaking. You go, oh my god! I, like every every thirty minutes, you go, I can't believe how good looking he is. That is funny. I love. That. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, the time you've afforded me today, and I could talk to you for ages. And I look. It's been so fun. I love interviews like this, and uh, I mean, I don't even think of it as an interview, just a discussion. So I. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I do have one final uh, inquiry. And I, by the way, thank you, because that is the highest compliment for me that I could get, especially from such a divine entertainer as yourself. Um, I wanted to know your thoughts on Lily Tomlin and Jane Wagner's most notorious, not best or most fated uh, collaboration moment by moment. Moment by moment. This I'm making sure to send you. Okay, this was hard to get on video for a long time. It was never released on VHS or Laserdisc, primarily because it was such an embarrassment to Lily, Jane, who wrote and directed it, and the other star, John Travolta. I didn't know anything about this. Well, they tried to suppress it, and I, I, I actually, I'm, is it I'm, a movie? It is. Some would say no, but it is technically a film. Uh, it is a romance between Lily Tomlin. Wow, I didn't think about it at all. Yeah, it's wild. It's it's wild. It has a couple portraits of, or, or shots of old L.A., which I'm, I have a feeling you enjoy too. I love seeing old sunset strip which also reminds me another film i'm gonna write this down right now moment by moment and a film called vice squad which from this name of it sounds vice squad Squad is great it it is rough and wings hauser uh soap actor wings hauser plays one of the most vicious pimps i've ever seen portrayed on film so oh another film before we go i want to know if if you've seen 52 Pickup with Anne Margaret, Roy Scheider, Vanity, and a couple actual porn people are in it too. I can't remember mm-hmm. who. Anne Margaret. Anne fucking Margaret is one of my biggest inspirations when it comes to showgirls. And her performance in, um, uh, oh, you know, the, the mirror, 
the man in the mirror. Oh, uh, uh, Tommy so spinning around and breaks the mirror. Uh, that's the Tommy's one of my. Here, wait. I yes, gotta, I gotta Tommy, show you some. Tommy. Her I show you, wait. There we go. There's the poster. Impeccable. Yeah. She's amazing, yes. and, and I love her the performance who. in that. Everyone laughs at it and makes fun of it. She's amazing, and you know, I say that about Faye Dunaway's performance in Mommy Dearest. You know, it, it turned into this. You know, everyone makes jokes about it. and It's over the top, and everything. If you watch that performance, Faye's performance is is extraordinary, and the reason it's extraordinary is because she is fully committed down to her the gums of her teeth, down to everything. She is invested in that moment and i'm sorry that's a brilliant performance i couldn't brilliant. agree with you more and 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 margaret also oliver reed i have a special fondness for oliver reed <clears throat> partially because he he never did theater work uh, but he he was unabashed about saying that and because people would try to say well you you kind of just went into film and he said i'm a film actor i'm a film actor <laughs> And he was—he's he, made a lot of appearances on talk shows over the when when he was alive, where he was visibly wasted, and had made no bones about it. He's like, "I'm a drinker. That's what I do." But he was I always, do that. yeah. I, do that. I just did that on something. I went on a show, and I was—I think I was probably a little Tennessee. What was it, if you don't mind saying? You don't have to, because I, I maybe well, no. Don't. It was—it was a while ago. I mean, it wasn't anything recent, but I—you know. I don't have any qualms with that either. I mean, I, you know, listen, if it's the time of day and you have a glass of wine or two and you're a little lit and you happen to have an interview that day, who cares? Ain't nothing wrong with that at all. One last thing, uh, one film, uh, yeah. rather, that reminded me of something. Mike's Murder, which I'll also send you, going to write that down as well, uh, is a brilliant film from the early 80s that I don't want to tell you really anything about because I got to see it that way. And it, to me is almost intrinsic to the feeling mm. that one would get from it. But it's Deborah Winger and a bunch of other, Paul Winfield, and it's somewhat based on an experience that he had. And it's directed by James, written and directed by James Bridges, who did China Syndrome and uh, Perfect, the John Travolta film. I've seen a lot of John Travolta films. It's starting to be revealed. Uh, and well, we started talking about one, Saturday Night Fever. Um, I can't remember what the other one was, but that's okay. Uh, that's the nature of the biz, I guess. Uh, oh, I know what it was. The, one of the main actors in it, because I'm doing a movie club on it, and I had him over, he was talking about it, and there's some cocaine use. So I said, I'm always interested, because uh, it changes every few years what they use as a prop. What was the prop cocaine that y'all were using? And he said, <laughs> what do you think I was doing? And I was like, wait, what? what? And he was like, yeah. He's like, we had the pure stuff available. It was on every movie set at that time. And his character is a cokehead. So, and I was like, that is genius and genius that you would admit it. So. Yeah, absolutely, honey. It's called meth. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's not Meisner's meth id. And it's not yeah. even spelled the same because it's id. It's about your id. Well, I want to. I mean, I said I'm What's that? Yeah. Playing a role where that where they're supposed to be drinking. I'm like, don't give me water. Put wine in here. What's wrong with you? Yeah, exactly. It, you it know, aids the performance. Let's get into it. Let's make it real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Cassavetes oh, method. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, once again, I want to thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, I, I, when, when are 
when when are your LA date? When uh, the tour starts uh when exactly? Repeat that. I, can... I think you froze there. Okay. When does your tour start? The... Now you froze. Sorry. Sorry. I... Let's take that again. Same feeling, the motivation uh and uh, uh um the tour I'm sorry, it froze again. <laughs> okay, wait, one more time with feeling and go. When, oh, it did? Yeah, it did. It froze like a bunch. Go to so, Kelly Mantle. Now it's fully frozen. If you send me the dates, uh, I'll, I'll look. tell you what. I'll, well, can I, I would look them up, but I don't know where my phone is. Well, oh, wait, I found it. Okay, so let's see. This, the theme of this episode is professional, frozen, and friendly. I'm going to look this up. I won't cut it out yeah. either because um, it's the experience we're having, so it's the experience the listener and viewer should have as my uh, earphones fall out, so I can't tell if uh, anyone's saying anything. Okay. We're looking up first information. Tickets are on sale, so folks, go to, uh, am I correct, kellymantle.com? Kellymantle Live. Kelly, see, that's why I mention it because then it sticks in their head. They go, "Is it Kelly Mantle?" No, Kelly Mantle live. Uh, more info that would help. Um, dates? Nope, no dates on it. KellyMantleLive.com. Here are the North American dates. See Kelly Mantle live or an evening without Kelly Mantle, August 26th in New York, August 27th in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, uh, August 30th, San Francisco, September September 20th in Dallas, September 21st in Houston, and more dates coming soon. So it's going to be an LA show coming soon, so you'll have to be there. I cannot wait to be there, and thank you. Uh, and um, I will be in touch. Is Jasmine the best one to, con- you know, I'll, I'll, I'll message you and uh, Jasmine, and then the two of you can fight. <laughs> what? What? Jasmine's amazing. She's the girl with the tea, with the end. I said Jasmine's amazing. Yeah. She's doing a movie club with me and all that jazz. And I think we should do a movie club and we'll figure out what film along the way. I think we froze. Uh, Sounds uh, good. Uh, uh, yeah, would you like to do a movie club sometime? Yes, let's do it. Great. Uh, and for listeners, that pause wasn't a grimace or anything. The viewers will know that. Okay, so thank you again, Kelly, and uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Take care. Head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends to get these episodes well in advance, ad-free and completely uncut, and plus a lot of other bonus options. So go over there now to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends, check out the options, support the show, and set yourself free.